0: Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think.
1: It's fun talking to Mampaji from Uganda about the different way that his society in Uganda views kids and children and parenting. He told me the story of when he first moved here, I think it was one of his first trips to the zoo, and he saw this mother with her kid in a stroller, and he went up to the kid and put his hand on the kid, and she freaked out and started saying, get away from me, get away. And he freaked out because he had read about police brutality against Black people, and He didn't really understand how it was all going to work out. And so he ran. Oh, no. And then she started screaming more, which made him feel guilty. And he was so confused as to why she would react the way she did with him putting his hands on her baby. He thought it was a racial thing. And it could have been, but... I also had to explain to him that the standards here are such that we don't go putting our hands on random children in someone else's stroller. We wouldn't even (laughs) approach. We might say, oh, look at the cutie and walk away, but not an unwanted hands on someone else's child. And I was thinking about that in terms of people from here going to other countries. We haven't lived in other countries, although we've traveled to a lot of other countries. So it must be a culture shock. And my friends, Nicole and Jeff, did the Peace Corps when they were in their 50s. So not the young 20-somethings usual. So they did all sorts of research that you probably wouldn't do in your 20s and had all kinds of protocols and standards for how they would behave. Jeff said the minute that they walked into a room, within the first 30 seconds, they had inadvertently insulted the Thai people at least 30 different ways that they would have never even understood.
0: And yeah, that, I've heard that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And we see odd behavior here from people that come from other cultures, but we don't really think about our standards and how it might seem if we lived abroad. Even though when we travel abroad, it doesn't—it's not the same as when you live abroad day to day. To I day. think they
0: cut you a little slack when they know you're just visiting, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And yet, if you move somewhere, then you're expected to kind of know. Yeah, and that leads to the curiosity bite. Are you ready? Yes, ma'am. By what standards do you judge yourself?
0: Hmm. I believe I judge myself based on society, the pressures of what I put on myself. I think that's about it. Uh, It's hard, but probably by the end, I'll, I'll have a better answer to that. But by what standards do you judge yourself?
1: I don't know if the answer would have been the same before I considered Mampaji's experience, Nicole and Jeff's experience, because I would just take for granted that the standards are the standards. And it's not until I see someone behaving differently that I have to question my own standards. But I think that the standards by which I judge myself are societal standards. I don't know whether that helps me form levels of standards or whether I just see standards as a blanket guideline. I don't know. Does
0: it change or does it mostly stay the same? I
1: reset my standards as I age or our new experiences. What was the last standard you set for yourself?
0: Well, I have a gallbladder issue. It seems like I'm always having some kind of issue. It drives me crazy. But <laughs> the latest one, as I call VRD, very rare disease, is I have a gallbladder problem. And I have to not eat any fat until I have my surgery. And before that, I felt like I was kind of giving up on my health. Your physical standards, your health standards? My physical and health standards. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I remember you saying, Jennifer, you really shouldn't drink. And I was like, why? Wait a minute. I didn't say you really shouldn't drink. You should cut down on your drinking. And you're like, you're not going to be healthy later. I'm like, so what difference does it make? I'm going to be 50 in two months. I just don't care anymore. And then I had this rude awakening. Of having my gallbladder all messed up. And attack you. It's totally attacked me. And it's totally made me change my standard for health and physical fitness. How do
1: you know if your standards are set too high?
0: When my standards are set too high, I get frustrated. I get more depressed, more down on myself. What about you? I
1: don't recall a time when I have thought, wow, my standards are too high, except for in the gym. And sometimes I forget that I'm not 35 and my standards of what I can physically do have changed. The only thing that has really recalibrated my standards was when I was diagnosed with osteoporosis because I've always worked out, I've always set I wouldn't say the highest physical standards, but definitely I have strong high standards for myself physically that I need to lift weights and I need to work out so many times a week. Then all of a sudden I realized that skiing and some of these other things that could break a hip, literally break a hip, which I thought was a possibility when I was 80, but I didn't think it would happen in my fifties. That made me realize that I need to recalibrate some of my physical standards. I didn't like that because that's a limitation. I think without that physical limitation, I don't know that I recall setting standards too high, but maybe that's also because I don't suffer from that self-doubt as much as maybe I should sometimes, <laughs> or, even, or even depression on the, on the
0: other end yeah. of the spectrum.
1: How do you know if you're setting
0: your standards too low? When my standards are low, I get complacent. I give up. I do like to have a little bit of a higher standard to reach something. Like set goals for yourself. Yeah, I like to have a higher standard because it allows me to set goals for myself. If I have too low of standards, like having no desire to take care of myself, totally giving up was a low standard, and then... And it didn't feel good. And now, because I've been taking care of myself now for about three weeks, I feel better. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's better to have those higher standards. You don't really want to have those low, low standards because then you just, you have to be honest with yourself and know that it just doesn't feel good.
1: Well, when you think about the three-legged stool of motivation, mastery, autonomy, and resources... If you set your standards too low, you are not motivated because you have no, you're not
0: mastery. You're
1: mastery. Really, that's what it's about. Right. Which of your standards, other than your physical standards, need resetting right now? And I'm going to ask you the next question so you can think about these as separate questions. Which are you most willing to reset? Mm-hmm. Wait, what was the first one? Which of your standards need resetting right now? And I'll ask you the second question so you can consider at the same time. Which are you most willing to reset? What we need to know versus what we want to know. I (laughs)
0: probably need to. (laughs) Yeah. I probably need to change my standards financially to a higher standard because I should be thinking about retirement and focusing on putting in money for retirement because it's getting closer and closer. Mm. Am I willing to do that? No, I still want to go on trips and I'm still trying to support my kids and so it's not really happening as much as I'd like. Although I did up my 401k. <laughs> so,
1: Well, I, you met with a financial planner and you put a plan in place, which I think statistically puts you in the tiny fraction of people in America who actually have a plan in place. Really?
0: So, yeah, so you raised also your... Also, I have a median level standard But you raised your standard
1: when you met with your financial planner. I did, I did. Right. But that
0: was a while ago. <laughs> there are standards and conventions.
1: And a lot of these conventions or standards are the frameworks or the skeleton upon which our behavior hangs. In this country, we have a written constitution that sets standards, but there's still a lot of judgment involved in that. Free speech is a standard. Rights are considered standards, but they still don't dictate exactly how we should behave. We want the constitution and these standards to be very explicit in dictating how we should and shouldn't behave. It's clear that they don't, which is why we have Supreme Court justices. It's mm. why we have judges. And it's why the curiosity bite involves judgment. By what standard do you judge yourself?
0: How do we figure that out? How do we know how
1: to judge ourselves? The same way we know how to judge everything with the good judgment formula. Oh, I love a formula. This is borrowed from Our LinkedIn learning course, Improving Your Judgment for Better Decision Making. Yeah, that's a good one. And the good judgment formula is this. Good data plus good information plus good analysis equals good judgment, which leads to good decisions. And don't just hear the plus signs and think it involves (laughs) math.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a good judgment formula. Can we dissect that a little bit? Yeah, sure. What's your question? How do we get good data? Ah, you have to gather
1: two things. You have to gather confirming data that supports your gut instinct or opinion. And that goes for judging yourself. And let me take a step back by saying there's two ways of judging yourself. Judging yourself and judging how other people perceive you. Mm. So it's self-awareness is like a two-pronged thing. How aware are we of ourselves and how aware are we of how other people see us? And I that's think tr- that's
0: important.
1: Which leads to the second bit of data to gather, which is disconfirming data that challenges your gut instinct or opinion. So those are the two elements that you search for. So if your inclination is to say, I judge myself to be, I judge my marriage to be good. Then you would look for confirming evidence, but ideally you're also looking for disconfirming evidence and that's how you get good data. You say, what, what if I was wrong? What if I was wrong? What would wrong look like? Mm. What would, a ba- what would a bad marriage look like? What would it look like? Those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. So you actually look. Now, don't look too much because you could start believing. <laughs> you trust-, oh no! trust me. Oh, no. I have a horrible marriage. But let's say you think you have a bad marriage. <laughs> then you look for confirming evidence. But then you have to look for disconfirming evidence. And what happens is you always hear this when people behave outside. When they have an affair, then they go look for My marriage is bad already and they look for confirming evidence, but Mm -hmm. they don't look for disconfirming evidence. So in everything we judge, it's important when you're getting good data to look for both. You know how to find good information? I was just going to ask that. Funny you should ask. You ask forest and tree questions. And the forest question is, what am I missing about the bigger picture? And then the tree question is, what finer points am I missing? What am I missing about the big picture of my health? I'm judging my health to be just fine. I'm judging my physical Fitness to be just fine. I'm, my financial health, my marriage, my parenting, just fine. What are the finer points? Am I missing? And then what are the big, what's the bigger picture I'm missing? So you're really looking for missing evidence, tiny, tiny, or big, big, big. And then the last one is good analysis. And that's when you use forward and backward thinking. It's also called inversion, business fancy speak. Oh, we're so business like. Forward thinking is what does the best outcome look like?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then backward thinking is, what does the worst outcome look like? It's great. And and those are just simple little tools to help you apply the good judgment formula. And
0: it really is. That's very helpful. Yeah. It gives you something to really measure judgment because you could just use it as a stab in the dark. That's really, really helpful. Good. So as you're thinking, because
1: we're going to get into some other things, I know you're going to have your list. Yeah. So we'll have to think about that. I mentioned self-awareness because this is also part of the course. We become self-aware by self-judging, which isn't necessarily about bullying ourselves or finding fault in ourselves. People think, oh, don't be so judgy. Well, there's a difference between good judgment and being judgmental. And good judgment really is the formula. And being judgmental is quickly coming to conclusions that aren't well thought out. So being judgmental isn't good judgment, but judging is a good thing to do. And when you put the whole idea of judgment in the negative, then you just think, I shouldn't judge myself. I shouldn't judge myself. I should just give myself pats on the back and just affirmations. No. Well, if we're not
0: judging ourselves, what
1: standard do we hold ourselves? That's the issue. And that is why judging ourselves accurately isn't
0: easy, but we can all improve. Well, with the formula, I have to say, that really does make it a little more accurate. One other little cheat. Yes, I love cheating. Well, in business, you hear
1: a lot about asking the whys, ask the five whys, 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 get to the root cause. But when you're judging yourself, it's really better to ask what questions. And the reason is because we don't have access to our unconscious thoughts or motives to answer why about ourselves. We invent answers that are true. Let me give you an example. What types of people do I prefer to work with versus why do I like to work with these people? No. It's a difference because I like to work with them because they're nice to me or why do I not like to work with them versus what types of people prefer to work with me? What makes me stop listening to people? What makes people stop listening to me? These what questions are much better than why. Why does my boss not listen to me? Then you say, she's a bitch. Whereas what makes people- Hey,
0: that's a bad word. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, no, it isn't. That's not a four level. That has five letters. Oh. Okay then what makes me stop listening to people could be when I ramble on and on like I'm doing now (laughs) (laughs) or or what makes people stop listening to me. I've noticed that people stop listening to me when I'm talking past noon and they're hungry. Yeah, that gets you a lot closer to self-awareness than just
0: pinning blame
1: or just why, why, why? Because we really don't have access to those unconscious findings about ourselves.
0: So anyway, good. Th- that's that's a little helpful thing, and those are both in the course, the LinkedIn Learning course. That's really cool. The, how, how to how to judge yourself, and don't ask why, ask what, and be beca- beware of negativity bias. When you get... well, I mean, don't don't discount negativity. I live in that world. I know, but when you got a review, <laughs>
1: when you get a review at work. You know darn well if they say give you three great things and one bad thing you're going to be focusing on that bad thing because we all do and you don't have to have depression to have a negativity bias.
0: Well, it's so funny my kids in speech and debate always say, "Don't don't waste my time with the good stuff. I just want to I just want to hear the bad critiques."
1: Oh, wow. That reminds me when Barkley and Dane wanted to take a class in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I didn't know that. And this was a number of years ago. So I dropped them off at this really good place where they were going to have the initial lesson and see if this is where they wanted to go. And Barkley comes out and I said, oh, how was it? And he said, oh, the guy was so nice. Dane was quiet. The guy was so nice. And I said, well, do you want me to sign you up for this program? He said, no. Why? I said, why? Why? He said he was so nice that everything we did was great, was great, was great. He said, I've never done Brazilian jiu-jitsu. There is no way that everything I've done, I need to be able to learn. I need someone. I need a coach who is more discerning. I don't want someone who's going to be, you suck, you suck, you suck, but that discernment was really important. Yes, you know the parent who says, "Oh, honey, you, you can, can do anything. You're a great singer," and then they're featured on American
0: Idol <laughs> and they're
1: surprised by why? Why am, you know? Yeah, no. yeah.
0: Absolutely. Are you ready for my list? I am. I'm ready. I'm gonna ask you different categories of standards. Okay. For myself? For yourself. Okay. No one else. That's going to be hard for you because I know you would prefer to do someone else. Yes. When you think about judging your work standards, what comes to mind?
1: Simple things like how early I get up and start my day. How many hours am I working? How many hours am I spending distracted on social media or other things? All of those things I use as standards of measurement, but I would have to admit that the stripper mentality does win out because the way I measure my standards of work is money.
0: Mm. So the time you put in and the money you receive.
1: The productivity, what I've created, whether I'm creating a course or writing a book or, or article or we're producing this podcast, a lot of it is creation-based yeah. for sure. Like I got three episodes done. I got a course done. I wrote a blog post, whatever. Yeah, And I that for sure is part of it. But at the end, the most powerful measurement of work for me, and it shouldn't be, but it is, is money. How about you? Dollar dollar bills, ya yeah. Dollar dollar bills. Especially ones put
0: strategically <laughs> In, into my where your bathing suit covers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a zero. I put my, I judge my work standards on the fulfillment that I get when I'm successfully creating relationships. Mm. That's true. That is true. I am not as motivated by money. No, you're not. And you're motivated by creation, for sure.
1: Actually, creating things that advance and engage relationships. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah.
0: That's exactly right. That's how I do it. I I would agree. According to Paris Hilton, Mm. if someone asks you to do something, do it really bad so you never have to do it again. Oh, that's hot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's hot. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> when you think about judging your marriage, what comes to mind?
1: That's a tough one. I don't spend a lot of time judging my marriage outside of the fact that I've been married for 27 years. And... That's a long time. That's an accomplishment. Relative to the average person. Actually, the first marriage, one marriage, 27 years. So that's the (laughs) other thing. Yeah, you got to
0: make that distinction.
1: But that distinction comes from a lesson I learned like in middle school or in high school. I had a friend that lived down the street and her parents were marriage counselors. And I didn't know that was even a job that someone could have. I knew nothing about marriage counselors. I thought it was fascinating And when we went to her house when i went to her house the parents had pictures of them kissing and hugging all over the house just loving pictures and i thought to myself wow that's a marriage that's a marriage
0: (laughs) now mom and dad were
1: married they had a good marriage but i didn't know what to compare it to they were not divorced some people were divorced so i thought it must be a better marriage than those that got divorced but hers must be like the next level until i found out that they were both cheating on each other and certainly Mm -hmm. after that they got divorced that led me to understand that what we see is not all that there is. So whether people are posting on social media or have pictures, loving pictures all over their house, which I saw in real estate all the time from getting going to a listing appointment where people were getting divorced and they had just oodles of loving pictures all over the house, that a lot of those external measures are not good barometers. Right. And what happens is sometimes you get a few drinks in your friends and the truth starts coming out. And you need to recalibrate how you judge
0: your marriage. Mindy Kaling said, I don't want to hear about the endless struggles to keep sex exciting or the work it takes to plan a date night. I want to hear that you guys watch every episode of The Bachelorette together in secret shame or that one got the other hooked on Breaking Bad. And if the, the either one watches it without the other, they're a dead meat. I want to see you guys high-five each other like teammates on a recreational softball team you both do for fun.
1: I agree with Mindy. I completely do. We were watching Designated Survivor, and Mm -hmm. after we watched one season together, binged it, I wanted to batch it on... The elliptical I wanted mm. to because I need my see I need my series to do my elliptical right and I actually had to ask Steven's permission hey can <laughs> I watch season two episode three on the elliptical and then when you work out you watch season two episode three so that we can get back together and watch season four tonight he was pissed uh, I
0: was gonna say did he say he yes That he
1: agreed I'm like Name. Mm. I have nothing to watch on the Olympics. Oh, like. you whined. You,
0: you wore him down. But he was pissed. <laughs> That's a show we watched together. That's a good show. Yeah. When you think about judging financial standards, mm. which we sort of talked about, what comes to mind?
1: What I realize is that most of my friends fall within a standard deviation of my own financial status. Because if I'm going out to dinner, and they can't afford to go to some fancy restaurant, or they want to go to a restaurant that's so much fancier than what I can afford, it doesn't work. If I want to take a trip with friends, maybe some friends we could go to the beach for the day, other friends we could go to Europe, some friends that wouldn't even be an option, that I find that most of my friends fall within a very narrow, and I use that as a form of judgment the election is interesting in that these candidates these democratic candidates feel comfortable vilifying billionaires yeah because there's not that many of them so they're not going to lose that many of them but i think that there are people for whom being a billionaire is aspirational even when they disparage them yeah because they see themselves as Someone different than those billionaires they see that if they became a billionaire they wouldn't do it that way Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't behave that way I don't believe that as many people think that billionaires are as bad as they say they are If it felt attainable to them.
0: Yeah, it feels good to take them down a little bit. It does because you're never gonna be there It does I experienced a little bit of that when I was living in Seattle A little bit of having to having friends that were really outside of my financial sphere. (laughs) You were there
1: during the dot com too, and that was Seattle was like one of the hubs outside of Silicon Valley.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it still is, but a Mm. lot of people were coming from the East Coast for Microsoft and all these different .coms and all of that. And they were doing fancy, fancy things. And I became friends with them. And it was very difficult to keep up with it. They had fabulous clothes. I did not have fabulous clothes. I go to Ross Dress for Less. They were doing these $100 cooking courses with wine pairings that were on top of that. And I always just had to either say I was sick or just couldn't go, or I I actually had a job, most of them did not have a job. So I would say I have to work or something like that. Yeah, it was hard, it was hard. And when we moved to Portland, it felt so much, I, I could take a deep sigh of relief, really.
1: When I think about money, I think one of the biggest problems we have in understanding budgets and understanding, whether it's government or companies, is the conflation of the difference between a million and a billion. If I said to you, picture a million dollars on your dining room table, you could have an image. You might not know if they were all ones or 20s or hundreds, or you might not know what the bills were, but you could have a height and thickness of the stacks of money that would be somewhat close to reality. If I told you to imagine a billion dollars, you wouldn't even be able to have a mental metaphor of what that would look like no not at all trillion it's outside of human capacity when we talk about things that are a trillion dollars or 30 trillion dollars or 40 trillion dollars frankly 40 billion dollars it's really (laughs) almost not human size it reminds me of when i was in vegas last week i felt like an ant the buildings are not human size i would think oh there it is next door Six miles later, (laughs) I get to the casino or the convention hall. It was crazy. That's what I think about money. It's super, super hard. And then the other thing I wanted to point out was one of my first trips to Europe, I came back with these amazing shoes. I went to mom. I pointed my boot at her and said, Florence, Italy. Mom ran to the back room, not saying a word, came back pointed an almost identical <laughs> shoe, <laughs> T.J. Maxx, Beaverton, Oregon. It was almost... So you're saying that you went to Ross Dress for less. <laughs> I'm not really sure who's the schmuck.
0: Anyway. Donald Trump said, I mean, part of the beauty of me is that I'm very rich. Sure. <laughs> That's the beauty. Well, but he is rich
1: compared to many people. And when people are disparaging him, saying that he's not a billionaire, he's to a lot of people, just a millionaire is so outside of what they could ever see themselves achieving that I don't think it tells a very good story to bring him down several pegs when the peg that he landed on is unattainable for most people still. I, I just think some of these arguments, as a liberal who cannot stand Donald Trump, I will say that it's not an argument that I would make.
0: I mean, I'm rich compared to some people. Right. When you think about judging your parenting, what comes to mind?
1: Oh, my goodness. All right. I will tell you this. I I like children and I like adults. There are very few that I like in the role of parent-child relationship. In other words, when (laughs) I get the children with their parents and the parents become parents and the children become offspring, I don't really like them very much. (laughs) And it's one of the reasons, like, at our wedding, I didn't want any kids. And mom was like, oh, it won't be Hamish. It won't be family. I'm like, that's fine with me. I don't want children at my wedding. I only had
0: one child at my wedding. Barkley. Barkley! (laughs) But I don't really like that role. I
1: find myself very judgmental about other people's parenting because I apply my own judgment of my own parenting, which is not perfect by any stretch, is less about outcome And more about whether I applied what I know about human behavior. If you're going to say yes the 10th time, just say yes the first time. It's stuff that you learn in operant conditioning. Please say that again. (laughs) People need to hear this. Can I have a toy? No. Can I have a toy? No. Can I have a candy? No. Can I have a candy? No. If you're going to say yes after 10 times, just say yes the first time and buy them the toy and candy. Just do it. I mean, or what I did was yes. I said yes every time we get to the checkout stand. I'd say, okay, where's your money? I didn't have to say no because I said yes. And if you can pay for it, you can do it. Yep. When they were three, they couldn't pay for it. But it didn't take long to learn that lesson. Now, that's obviously easy for me to say on this podcast. Makes it Aren't sick. you just yes. the best parent in the
0: world? But
1: now I judge my parenting differently because I have a very, very sick young adult child who is a young adult, very capable, has his own business, but needs a lot of help because he's super, super sick. Yeah. And now I'm constantly judging the difference between enabling and bolstering, encouraging. And if I can't do that as a parent with complete confidence and accuracy, which I can't, I don't know how we can do it as a
0: society. That's so hard to balance. Right. Even without a sick child, it's hard to balance
1: and people say well you're just enabling poor people or homeless people by making things easy for them. Yeah. And if it was that e- and sure there is It can a- be true. It can't be true. And when people deny the fact that it can be true, it's disingenuous. Mm-hmm. But if you can't figure it out for your with your- scientific precision for your own child, what makes you think you can figure it out for society and people you don't even know?
0: Yeah. Homer Simpson said <laughs> who is like poster child for the best parent. Love him. I have three kids and no money. How come I can't have no kids and three money? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Homer Simpson has <laughs> loved him. Now I would say that my kids would probably rank Homer Simpson as one of the best all-time parents. But sure, they
0: know every episode. Oh God, they sure do. When you think about judging your standards for gender, what comes to mind? I'm going to set aside all the
1: gender fluidity questions because I think of myself as a woman. Yeah,
0: this is for you. But not for if I had else. grown
1: up in a time like now, would I judge myself differently? I mean, I would still fig- think of myself as a woman, but I might be more accepting of different kinds of fluidity within what that means. I don't know. I've never been completely singularly focused that a woman has to be like that because that's not how we were raised. And right. I thank mom for that and dad for that. I do think of myself more probably age and gender, for example. There are things that I would fit in that are sexy outfits, but I wouldn't wear them now because even though I fit them, they, I don't want to present myself as that kind of woman who at 54
0: years old tries to dress like a 25-year-old. I don't think you did that when you were 25 either. Right, but
1: I didn't think about it as much. I just thought, what's stylish, whatever. So I, for my gender, but I I don't have tolerance for things like women, statements like women leaders, women doctors, or male nurses for that matter. I think we are leaders or we're doctors or we're nurses. And by saying that women leaders need special training wheels. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't spend a lot of time thinking of my role as a woman. This podcast, for example. I was just going to say that we
0: are two women, two parents, but that's not what we're representing. We're doing a podcast on our Curiosity Bites. How to think about thinking. And it's not about two, only two women doing this. It's that's not, we are that and we make no apologies, but that's not our focus. That's not what we're representing unabashedly
1: and proudly who we are absolutely but it is not the point of this endeavor right and my work a lot of times people will say hey can you speak about curiosity for women for my women's group and I'm no problem I have no problem with that you know our workshops they'll bring us in hey could you come into this entrepreneur group or this women's group most of what we do for our workshops though are really corporate and yeah don't address those specifically, because if you train yourself to be curious, you don't need those labels as much. Right. And that's the freedom of curiosity. Yeah. And the reason for this.
0: This quote comes from Betty White. Why do people say grow some balls? Balls are weak and sensitive. If you really want to get tough, grow a vagina. (laughs) These things take a beating. (laughs) Thank you, Betty White.
1: (laughs) Who was it that? said something last week. I really need... I want, I'm want. i concerned about global warming because we all need to consider how we leave the world for Betty White. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and I think Cher. I think we need to add Cher to that. Cher. Absolutely. I don't think Cher will ever die. God help us if she does. I probably would think Joan Rivers would have di- never died. Oh, but I don't agree with I that. I thought she was being preserved so so much that she wouldn't die, but there you go. Yeah, her preservation killed her. Yeah, she said... Looking 50 is great if you're 60. You know why I feel older? I went to buy sexy underwear, and they automatically gift-wrapped it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the last question I have for you is, when you think about judging your friendship standards, Mm. what comes to mind? I
1: am very, very lucky that I have you as a best friend. Oh, A lot of times siblings it's not a foregone conclusion and it's nothing wrong with the people who don't get along with their siblings i don't think you should force it i don't think it's anything
0: magical it's just lucky if you do you got a friend in me you got a friend in me cha-cha-cha yeah anyway
1: (laughs) and i like my children and i like my husband that gives me a lot of friends now i judge my friends by a couple of things are they curious? I like people who create things. I like people who wonder about things. Who aren't boring. Who aren't boring. But I don't want to have one best friend outside of you and my family that I'm going to be best friends with for life. I have friends. Jancy I've been friends with since I was in first grade. And, or, no, so one years old. And Aaron I've been friends with. One years. Uh, one year old. And Erin, I was friends with since I was in first grade. And these are dear, dear, dear friends. I have friends that I met in the last couple of years who are dear, dear friends. I love that. But when I saw people suggesting that, hey, all of these women are going to get these tiny houses and live in a community and pick your best friends, peace out, no way. Or we're all going to live <laughs> in a mansion and live together in the south of France, peace out, no way. Anything that that smacks of friends tradition always doing this like a sorority or I just I don't have tolerance for it I do understand why people love it like we're this group of friends through thick and thin it's just is not appealing to me
0: yeah you feel connected and you feel a part of a group that's just not something that I desire I if I have you I have your kids I have my family I have your kids and and that's and, and I, I do have one friend that has been my friend for a really, really, really long time. And other than that, the nice thing about that one friend, though, is that she doesn't expect me to call her every day. Mm. And and yeah, I have, we haven't gotten together. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. Sometimes I have to admit that I do feel lonely, mm. but not enough to change my standards. Yeah, I don't ever feel lonely. Yeah. Maybe that's a luxury.
1: But I'm also,
0: you're very picky. You're more picky than you I You have a thousand times more friends than I have.
1: Because I find interest in, I think I'm more interested in people a little bit than
0: you. No, I'm interested in people. I'm just lazy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> After a full day, now I have a lot of jobs. But even before you had
1: 50,000 jobs, You I mean, you've always been busy. Yeah, But I'm, even when I was working way more than I'm working now. In other words, seven days a week. I still. Uh,
0: no. You had a lot of social engagements. I do not have a lot of social engagements, and I would like a f- little bit more. But you could have some of mine. <laughs> I oh god. I I get so much social interaction during the day that that's enough for me. I have one last quote from Oprah Winfrey. Mm, Oprah! Oprah! You get a You get a friend! You get a friend! (laughs) She said, lots of people want to ride with you in the limo, but what you want is someone who will take the bus with you when the limo breaks down. That reminds me of the sort of fact. You ready? Yes! From
1: prestigious university. P.U. Studies have found that 87% of people... Would rather be invited to ride in your limo than ride on your bus. Unless it's a party bus. (laughs) Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there, that will wait to read your answers to each week's curiosity bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity bitten conversations, subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, all things Apply Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to applycuriositylab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.